1: Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. Yeah, Employment Law Show Goals here, along with Chris Justice, courtesy San Tamarkin to Market LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Chris is ready, willing, and able, and armed to answer all of your questions over the next half hour. So bring them on. We are live here on air, taking your calls right now. There is no question too small, too stupid, too large. If it has to do with your work life, where you spend the vast majority of our time, most of us do, right? you want to make sure you know the uh, employment laws and employment rights that surround your working life. And the best way to do that is pick up on the show every night and uh, phone in and ask some questions. Uh, don't be bashful. I'm sure there's hundreds of other people listening that are wondering the same thing. So you're doing everybody a good service. We're ready for them. 416-870-6400. That and if we have time for a couple email, possibly maybe kind of sort of help at employmentlawyer.ca. But uh, Chris, we always start off, pal, with the uh, case of the day. What uh, What's cooking on your
2: end, pal? Yeah, so a lot of news coming out is continuing to involve various companies laying people off, terminating employment of, of various people. Uh, you look at places like Adidas, Torstar, Best Buy, Essence, Google. So it just seems like this trend of a lot of these jobs being lost, outsourcing happening is continuing into the into the year. And I wanted to sort of bring that up to sort of remind people, Um, some of the main things to think about when trying to secure the best severance package possible and ultimately why it's in, I think, everyone's interest to hire a skilled employment lawyer. And so the first first reason I think a lot of people should consider hiring a skilled lawyer is to do with the fact that um, those lawyers will know how to properly calculate severance. A lot of people I talk to um, might think that they're out a week or two weeks for every year they've worked, when in actuality they're out closer to a month or more. And um, as probably a lot of listeners know, the courts often look at a number of main factors when trying to decide how much severance an individual should get. Things like their age, right. the role with the company, the length of service, the ability to find new work. But there are also a number of other factors. In fact, more than a hundred, I think, are considered by the courts when trying to determine how much severance a non-unionized employee should get. So. I think for sure when you've got a skilled employment lawyer, they're going to know the ins and outs and some of the nuances when it comes to actually calculating your severance package.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too because you know something we discussed the past couple of nights on the show because it keeps coming up, and that is, you know, a lot of these uh, layoffs and terminations are coming via American companies, but they're working here on Canadian soil. But the American parent company doesn't always realize that it's a whole different kettle of fish when calculating severance and all the components of if your actual ge- geographical workplace is on Canadian soil, or to put a finer point on it,
2: in Ontario, right? Right, right, and yeah, a lot of these companies that are um, instituting these layoffs. Uh, they do involve people who are working remotely say from Ontario but for an American based company and as you say these companies and in many cases the lawyers on behalf of the companies aren't always up to speed on all the differences between Canada and US law um not right. to mention you know just people i talk to on a daily basis thinking that you know maybe they are only held to a certain american standard when you know in reality they're they're looking at upwards of 2 years of severance under ontario law so so it is definitely something
1: Again, guys, 416-870-6400 is a way for you to call in. We'll get to uh, Jim, who's an early bird here on the show. Jim, thanks for taking the time, pal. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, sir. What's on your mind?
3: Um, <clears throat> my, brother, my brother-in-law has been working for a small family business for uh, 35 years now. And um, they've just recently given him a letter that they're going to close the company in two years from now. And they're saying, because they're giving him this letter, that they will not have to pay him severance, and I'm just calling to see if that's true or not.: mm.
2: Yeah, no, it's a good um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a good question. Um, there are definitely situations where a company can essentially fulfill its entire severance obligations simply by way of giving an employee notice. It's, it's relatively rare. Uh, there are a few circumstances where it applies. A lot of times, companies don't want to do this because, of course, you're telling someone their job's coming to an end. A lot of people may not be as motivated to work for that period of time, um, and I can imagine that you know a lot of people, and in fact, I've experienced this myself, will come to me and think, you know, is that, how is that possible? How can someone, <clears throat> excuse me, give me the notice? Am I owed some kind of payout? Can I, is there any way that I can instead have the company just simply pay me out that time, and I'll be on my way? And there are uh, companies, larger companies, where no matter what, in certain circumstances, they cannot fulfill their obligations completely by notice. But you mentioned this is a smaller company. And so those are um, sometimes the circumstances that are required, um, that that don't actually require the employer to pay out any severance. So um, in this case, it does seem like it could very well be the case that this company can satisfy the full two years just by giving them notice. And and the basis for that is that you give the person time to find another job. So, if, if someone's given the heads up, say two years from now, you're not going to be you're not going to be in this role. Um, the, the the idea that the way the way the reason that this is accepted is because courts will say, well, now this person at least can spend that time um, looking for other work, which they have the right to do so, um, and not be in a situation where, for example, their employment's over and they're left with nothing and their last day is effective immediate without it. That's, that's usually where the issue arises. Um, uh, I'm not going to say hundred percent that is permissible in your brother-in-law's case. Um, however, there are certain circumstances and it might be that this one. Uh, includes those. Okay. Well, that answered answer my question. That's good. That, that said, want, though, Jim, I'll, sorry, yeah. sorry, just to interrupt. Um, Jim, if you want, you can still give us a call. Uh, there might be a way to negotiate a package um, on some other basis. Um, rather than just simply accepting the two years. It, it just comes down to the negotiations between both yeah. sides. Now he, so that's yeah. definitely a possibility. Th- this letter also can't be looked at
3: as a what is it, constructive dismissal or anything like that.
2: Um, <clears throat> well, no, only because they're, they're giving the notice. Uh, usually a constructive dismissal occurs when there's been a significant change to the terms of somebody's employment. But there's no term usually in any employment that would guarantee somebody a job for life, right? So... Um, In that sense, they haven't overstepped their bounds. But again, it's just a question of whether or not uh, this person would want to stay there working the two years or if it might be in their better interest to try to see about negotiating a package and and just leaving uh, sooner rather than later.
3: Oh, I see. Okay. Okay.
2: All right.
1: Well, thank you very much. Going forward here so you can follow up for sure. That 821 1-855-821-5900. Again, one 821 We'll pop into a short break and get back with lots more. Employment Law Show coming right back.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: You bet. Welcome back. Good to have you. Lots of time still to call in and talk to us as we love to talk to you and get you on air. Chris Justice is your guy from the firm answering all those questions tonight for the remainder of the show. So he is uh, ready to go as well. The, uh, The main topic, as mentioned off the top, is key things to consider in a remote working environment. Number one is this, Chris, and you can expand on this one, hybrid versus remote working relationships. The difference. What do you think?
2: Yeah, so just to define uh, a couple concepts here. So an entirely remote working arrangement, I think, is relatively self-explanatory. You know, employees will work from home on a full-time basis and they're never required to go into an office. And I think that one of the more certain examples where this could apply would be if somebody has an actual written contract that very clearly sets out that they are to work at home and that there is no requirement to go into the office. Sometimes it can get a bit dicey if there's nothing in writing. And, you know, we're in a battle, he said, she said, um, but mm-hmm. that's one example, or, or I guess a definition of an entirely remote working relationship. But we've also got this hybrid working arrangement where, um, you know, something has become much more common, especially since the pandemic, and it incorporates oh, yeah. both remote and in-office work. Um, and so being a relatively newer concept, I think employers are still trying to figure out what this arrangement looks like for their company. You know, some employers may set the days that an employee has to be in the office whereas other employers may set how many days somebody has to be in the office and then allow the employee to choose those days. So, so I think there's various versions of a hybrid working arrangement, but in essence, that's the, the main difference between the two.
1: And again, guys, 416-870-6400 is how you get on air. Ask those questions. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you?
3: Thank you.
0: Uh, one question. Can an employer sure. request a physical exam before hiring somebody?
2: Uh, good question. Typically, that's not a requirement that I've seen in any pre-hire uh, situations. I think in general, it might depend on the actual position. You know, if, if there is a need perhaps for someone to be able to perform certain tasks or do certain things, it's, it's possible. But in general, it's something I very rarely see. And, and I'd be worried that an employer would be overstepping its bounds, especially from a privacy perspective, by trying to extract certain information from somebody before hiring them. And, and you could be in a situation where perhaps somebody doesn't get a job based on something that actually shouldn't affect the job. And now we're into this potentially discriminatory or bad faith type of a situation. So um, without further context, I think it would be harder. But I definitely would want to be cautious if I was the employee uh, simply before accepting to agree to a physical or providing certain medical related information uh, without first establishing a strong basis for it. and, And of course, only giving the bare minimum that's required. Thank you very much. No. Thank worry. you, Billy. Thank Appreciate you. that.
1: If you want to reach out further? You can always contact Chris and his team one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Yeah. To your point, I guess. I guess in that situation, the question that Bill asked would be very nuanced. I mean, if you're mm. if you're the person checking people's receipts on the way out of a Costco, probably not. But if you're a firefighter, for sure. I mean, or emergency services, that would be a completely different kettle of fish, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Because there's going to be certain occupational requirements, like you say, in some of those positions with respect to physical, you know, uh, demands, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. there are certainly some situations, as I say, it is a fairly niche area, um, but but possible. It just depends uh, on some of those finer details, I think.
1: We're talking about that uh, remote working environment because now, we be it remote, fully, or hybrid, as you mentioned, uh, to get into the topic, Chris, it is massive now. It's become the norm of a lot of companies, for sure. So how secure is that? Is your remote working relationship, do you think?
2: Yeah, so as I said before, ever since the pandemic, this this hybrid, or at least just in general, remote work has become a lot more popular. And it's sort of been applying to situations where people had previously worked in the office. And so they're simply just being told that they need to work from home, but maybe prior to the pandemic, that wasn't the case. And there may not um, be a written contract that says very clearly you are to work from home or you have the ability to work from home on X, Y, Z days. So I think a lot of people are just frankly preferring remote work and they're thinking I can do my job hundred percent. Practically speaking, there's no issue. So if my employer tries to, tell me to go back in to the office on on some days or or full time, I'm just going to say no, because why would that make any sense? I've been at home. I want to stay at home. And a lot of people think that they actually have the right, a lot of employees, to sort of Mm. stand their ground in the face of their employer asking them to come back into the office, you know, in these circumstances where it may make entire sense to stay home. Um, But that's just simply not the case. And a lot of these cases, people just simply don't have that right to demand or insist they work from home. Usually, unless there's a very clear agreement between the employer and themselves. And so, um, a lot of times people will risk actually quitting a job thinking they have the right and then they're therefore owed severance when then later realizing, oh, I shouldn't have done that. So, I think if you're an employee in a situation where you're comfortable with your situation working from home, And you may be getting resistance from your employer to go back in before you start communicating with them and telling them to take a hike and that no way, no how are you going to go back in. You'll definitely want to contact a lawyer to make sure that you can even do that because you don't want to be digging yourself a bigger hole.
1: Let's get Scott on the air here. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking the time, pal. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? Good, sir. What's on your mind?
3: Um, I just got laid off last Friday from a job. Uh, I've been working with them for six years, over six years. Um, I'm, I'm 61 years old. Um, and, uh, basically they, they gave me a letter. They said, okay, you know, uh, this is December 9th. Uh, you're going to be laid off January 20th. So they gave me a, a six week working severance and then six weeks paid severance after that, which comes up on this, uh, this weekend coming for my pay. Um, however, uh and and I was one of these people that uh under duress of needing a job I had gotten uh let go from a previous job before I took this one as a truck driver my license had been uh suspended because of my diabetes and my blood sugar was not under control as a as a driver and so the ministry took my license away didn't tell me about it and then my company did a routine check on the uh, on my CVOR and found out that I didn't have a, an A license. And so I was like, Oh, that job, I needed a job right away. I took this job. So I signed an employment agreement, uh, basically under duress. Cause I knew I didn't want what was in that agreement. Uh, and now I'm wondering if there's in today's economy at my age, whether there's any hope of me getting any
2: more severance than I've already gotten. Okay, Scott, let me just, let me just summarize a couple things. So you were with this company for six years, they yep. have given you the six weeks notice and then six weeks of severance. So it seems to me like they may have satisfied their bare minimum obligations to you so far. And yep. you're wondering if you're entitled to more than that, say total of 12 weeks um, for the employer that you had just been with for six years. Is that right? Yes. And, and you were concerned about an agreement you signed with this employer when you started six years ago and what effect it might have on your severance entitlements?
3: That's correct.
2: Okay, okay. Well, I will say that there's a good chance whatever contract you signed six years ago, if it's got some language in there that relates to termination or has to do with trying to limit your rights in the event of a termination, there's a good chance it won't actually limit your rights. I think the vast majority of contracts, while they may try to limit your rights upon termination as far as severance is concerned, they right. don't really do a good job of doing that. So um, that would be one thing, though, to look at, you know, the, the degree to which your contract affects you. But I, I think odds are it won't, which means that okay. your severance entitlements are not going to simply be limited to just the bare minimum, which is the 12 weeks. But actually, you could get as somebody in their 60s, with six years of employment in with that company you could get six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months of severance, let alone just the 12 weeks. Right. So I, I would recommend you give us a call, um, definitely to make sure uh, that, number one, the contract doesn't affect you. But otherwise, I think the potential for you in your case can be quite significant compared to what this employer actually provided. Okay.
3: Is there any time limit on, on seeking after this at all? And the reason I ask is because my former boss, who, uh, who, who hired me originally, uh, he, he's no longer my boss now, but he works in a different part of the company. He's starting up a new project in which he has kind of implied that he might want to bring me back after six weeks. So, But but that's not like, you know, I don't want to read too much into an offhand comment, but it wasn't just him, but his boss also said a similar thing to me. So I don't necessarily want to take action against the company if there's a possibility that they might bring me back. So that's why I wondered if there's a, a time limit on this.
2: Yeah. So generally, um, for anyone that wants to know, uh, there's a two year limitation period from the time that you were terminated or laid off for you to commence a civil claim, to commence a lawsuit against the company. So you you technically have two years. Now, I will say one other thing, because you mentioned the potential for future work. If right. you do end up finding another job, whether it's with this company that you just left or, or a different one, and you start making similar earnings that you were making previous, that will potentially affect how much severance you're owed. So you're not right. going to get less than the 12 weeks that we've talked about, which is the bare minimum, but to the extent that you're able to find work relatively quickly, let's say in the next month or two, and, and it is a, um, go back to your pre-termination uh, earnings, um, it, you may have a lot less leverage or no ability, in fact, to get anything more than 12 weeks. On the other okay. hand, if you don't get that job and you go on continuing to look for work and more months pass, then you're back to the position that I was saying before, where you could potentially get six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 plus months. So I will say that your future prospects and your employment in that respect could affect things. It, it may be in your best interest to act now, knowing that that sort of could Uh, limit the the amount of liability this company has to you but on the same hand i appreciate you may not want to engage in these in these proceedings or or negotiations if there is that chance for for future employability too so um, either way it might still benefit you to give us a call but i think that answers the question
3: okay i'm definitely going to give you guys a call good stuff Scott I'm
1: gonna give you that uh, gonna give you that number right now pal one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred again one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred appreciate the call and your time uh tonight got a few more minutes to go probably squeeze in another call if you got some time in the meantime considering things to consider remote work environment how about the employee tracking software that always uh, that's always a phone call you get huh
2: Yeah. And again, something more um, common nowadays and and sort of in line with the whole hybrid trend or remote trend of people working from their homes um, has come up this this topic of employee tracking software. And there have recently actually been a law passed or there's recently been a law passed where employers now have to tell their employees um, that there's software that's implemented uh, in, say, a computer laptop or or, um, uh, like a company laptop, I should say, or a company cell phone. Um, before that, there, these tracking devices, you know, may have been on these products or these items. It's just that employers weren't required to notify employees. So that's been a recent change, this this notification thing. But it, um, I think employees do need to know that employers are within the rights to implement tracking software for those working remotely. Um, a lot of people may think you don't have the right to track things. Um, if you're using a laptop or cell phone, whether it's a company provided one or your own, but, even if you're working from home, your, your employer will have the ability to monitor this, and this is permissible, um, provided, of course, your employer is not overstepping bounds and just uh, monitoring people arbitrarily, which would definitely involve privacy concerns. But this is a thing, and it will continue to be a thing, and I'm sure that I'll be seeing a lot more people contacting me about you know, just how far employers can go when it comes to this type of software.
1: And then the employers uh follow up question after that, Chris is quite often, we'll have a you know productivity and time theft. Could there be uh, an increase in some of that? How do I combat that?
2: Yeah, and there's been some recent cases that have come out involving allegations of time theft involving employers um going against their former employees for committing time theft, and uh, I think that's the valid you know reason for why a lot of these employers are implementing the software especially if there's already instances of a lower productivity or time theft occurring. Mm. And, yeah, it's, it's just natural, I think, for a lot of cases. You know, someone's working from home, you know, maybe the productivity does slip a bit. You know, there are people that are more productive at home, but then there's also a greater ability for people to, you know, kind of take some time off and not necessarily have their employer watching over their back in the same way if, if we're in the office. And those things can add up, and those instances can add up. And there, if there's tracking software that sort of tracks maybe how long you're logged on to the system, and you're not logged mm-hmm. on, for instance, you know now all of a sudden you're an employee who's in a situation of, you know, you allegedly committing time theft, which is a serious thing. I mean, it's it's stealing money um, when when you should be doing the work for the time that you're getting paid, and and that can sort of result in terminations or the end of someone's employment, and then you're kind of in a scenario where you're trying to decide whether or not you're owed severance in that in that situation. So, I think there are a lot of concerns that employers have, but also concerns employees should have too in terms of just making sure they are productive and and not engaging in anything like that.
1: And with that, we're going to uh, rock and roll out of here. Phone number, gave it out a few times, 1855821 Fifty nine hundred again. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is that email address and the website uh, crafted just for you to use. Learn a lot on there and have access to the severance calculator. And that uh, that website is pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Employment Law Show.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily. reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.